Hi, I'm Sean K. Reynolds of Montecook Games, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris and Peter are joined by Claudio Poses to talk about the business side of RPG art. In the news, the Dungeons & Dragons live-action film has begun shooting. A big preview of Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, the D&D Live 2011 event has been announced, and more, plus our favorite game in all the world, and a brand new sketch about how a fun video game doesn't necessarily make for a fun RPG. All on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Today's podcast is sponsored by Slaughter and Sons Undertakers. Suitable whether you've been fried by dragon breath, nibbled by piranhas, immersed in acid, or pincushioned by goblin arrows. Special deals are available for mummification, Viking funerals, burial at sea, and other assorted death rituals. This week only, Slaughter and Sons also has a buy one, get one free offer in the event that you have an elderly or just slightly annoying relative who you'd like to, you know, just dispose of. Just quote the promotional code, Slaughter My Relatives, when making your booking. Give your loved ones the send off they deserve at Slaughter and Sons. All the tabletop role playing news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is. Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever. It is complete and almost total delight to be here. Hey, and back here for a second time. Somehow, what? we persuaded him to come back. I don't know how. The fool! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm he, okay. he came back even knowing what he was letting himself in, into. It's the one, it's the only, uh, well actually no, we've established previously that he's not the only, but he's the, he's the one that's really well known in tabletop RPG for doing amazing art, it is Claudio Prozas. Hello Claudio! <laughs> Hello, good morning. How are you down there in Rio de Janeiro? Yeah. I just woke up so this is going to be interesting. It's 10am there, what do you mean you just woke up? Because it's really raining, pouring down here in Rio today. So I woke up uh-huh. at 9 a.m. with both of my caps on top of me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it was a rush to get out of bed, get breakfast, get ready for the podcast. Because this podcast uh-huh. rocks and I wanted to be on top form for it. Hey, it does rock. It. Yes. Let's, let's do this podcast. Let's talk about some RPG news. Yes. There's a lot of D&D news this week. Well, that can't be helped. They, they do tend to produce a lot of things. Did you know that the D&D movie has stunted filming? Is it? Finally! They've actually, they've got their, a picture of, what's, what's it, the, the, clapper, the clapper board? The clapper board, yeah. Yeah, and it's got like, uh, uh, Jonathan Goldstein, who's um, one of the two directors, the other one being John Francis Daly, mm-hmm. and um, he tweeted a picture of the clapper board, Dungeons and Dragons. Take one, slate 68, whatever a slate is. Date, 29th of April, 21. Uh, it's probably it's the page 68 of the script. Or, maybe, or, yeah, or the maybe. 68th uh, uh, board in the you know, storyboard. Whenever I imagine people directing a film or a TV series, I always imagine they do it in order. 
No, I've seen at the time. You know, what I, mean? no. <laughs> I know. I know. Intellectually, they can't possibly do that. But in my head, that's what they do. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> it would make it much easier to be an actor, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Like a like a, yeah. a, a an actual play. Let's just yeah let's yeah just start see one and work and... your way through. Yeah. Even if that means crossing the world to other locations <laughs> and coming back again and then going back again, I still imagine that's what they do. Very well, again, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah very, very hobbit. Um, I, I think I think I can speak for everyone when I say Russ, you probably should just stick to the RPG publishing rather than directing. <laughs> but maybe say you later, man. I don't know, it's, it's up to you. <laughs> now you know why well, anyway. now you know why Ace, the awfully cheerful engine movie, will be very expensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, how cool would that be? Anyway, anyway, the D anyway. movie. Yeah. So yeah. they started filming. Mm-hmm. So that's Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Justice Smith, Hugh Grant as the villain, and uh, Reggae Jean Page, who is the oh. chap from um, 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 what's that program? Um, uh, Richardson. Rid- Richardson. Yeah. Yes, Richardson. Yes. Yeah. And, Apparently, uh, won't be uh, making it into a second series. Sophia Lillis too from it. The ginger mm-hmm. girl from it, Sophia Lillis, is in the movie. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that one. So I haven't actually seen it either, though. Is it good? They're both very good. The first one is yeah. better mm-hmm. because the teenage mm-hmm. cast is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, anyway, let's, let, let's stick with D&D news for the moment. So, right. Van Richardson's Guide to Ravenloft coming out in, what, mm-hmm. two weeks now, is it? The 18th. Uh, yeah, it's quite soon. That is. The uh, yeah. marketing uh, is going the, absolutely the time for it. It's oh, going to be. Well, the podcast will air tomorrow. So yeah. if, <laughs> Is it coming out tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's the 18th. Yeah. So it's yeah. 10 days so, away. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've got a table of contents, which is quite exciting. Mm-hmm. So this is, uh, this is posted by uh, Lisa or Lisa, Lisa Penrose. Penrose. Yes. Lisa Penrose on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a photograph of the table of contents. Okay. So we have got five chapters. Yeah. So chapter one is character creation. Yeah. And that has those new lineages, which are the Dampir, the Hexblood and the Reborn, which have been in Unearthed Arcana before. Yeah. So I don't know how, how much that have got. Thing is, the Unearthed Arcana for that was really recent. Oh, yeah. So I don't know how much time they left themselves to actually change it based on the feedback. Yeah, that, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that would be a lot of change. It was maybe yeah. two months ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I guess if they if they had to change the occasional word or a little bit, it might have been possible. I, mean, I, mean, I, wish, I wish they changed the. Finished. I wish they changed mm-hmm. the name of the the hex blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What was that? Which one was that? Was that the one that was related to a hag? Yeah, it's the it's the yeah. it's the uh, 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 light light hag uh, uh, lineage. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> you know, if you play a hex hex blade, <laughs> and then you cast cast a hex. With your hex yeah. ability to hex, yeah. you know, there's so a you, lot of hex so in there. You could you could just play uh, like yeah. a, a hex sword. So you're a hex blood hex blade who hexes someone with your hex blade's curse, and then you hex them with the spell as well. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, so they are definitely hexed, is what we're saying. So I've been thinking of writing a version of D and D where every single class, the first first syllable is fight. So you have got the fighter, mm-hmm. and then fight the bard off. would be a fight singer. And Ooh. then the uh, cleric would be a, a, a fight prayer. And then play a <laughs> I'm going to stop this joke. It's not working. <laughs> In fourth edition, you could play a, play a warforged warlord uh, 
uh, with some war something, war machine, uh, prestige. Warrior. Yeah, Paragon Path. Yeah. Warforged Warlord War Machine Warrior. Nice. I like it. That sounds like some kind of cartoon, doesn't it? Yes. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something like that. Uh, uh, alliteration going on. It's it's like a, a, a video I saw yesterday that was making fun of French, not the people, mm. the language. And there's a lot of uh, similar sounding words like the phrase in English without a hundred cents of blood in French is sans, 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 sans. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's the, our hex blood, hex blade joke for today. <laughs> Fantastic. So anyway, back back to this um, table of contents here. Okay. Yes. So we then have we then have the dark gifts. Mm-hmm. So you have these dark bargains and then descriptions of the dark gifts, which um, I'm assuming are just kind of like supernatural abilities you get in exchange for a disadvantage of some kind. Yeah, mm. in a traditional Ravenloft fashion, if you did something that was considered evil, you would get mm. dark gift, something from the dark powers that rule Ravenloft. And you oh, yeah, will slowly be sorted by these gifts, even as they give you ability. And once mm. you reach a threshold, you start stopping a, a player character, you become an NPC, mm. and you could eventually gain your own dark domain. Then you would become mm. a dark lord. Dark, 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 dark. Dark lord, yes. Okay, we also have the subclasses, which mm-hmm. are the College of Spirits for the Bard and the mm-hmm. Undead for the Warlock. Oh, okay, yes. Oh, that's different from the Undying, which was in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide. So this is interesting. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, I think have... the, the Undying was a bit uh, underwhelming for some people. And then they are doing the mm-hmm. Undead. It's probably a, a retread of this. Of yeah, maybe, maybe. Beefed it up a bit, yeah. Bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we got a couple of backgrounds. We've got the Haunted One and the Investigator. Right, Haunted One, I've definitely seen that in Curse of Strahd. So, yeah, I see it make a comeback. Yeah. yeah. Uh, chapter two, Creating Domains of Dread. A uh, big section on different genres of horror. That's, uh, mm. well, pages 45 to 57. So that's uh, 12 pages talking about body horror, cosmic horror, dark fantasy, folk horror, ghost stories, gothic horror, and other horror genres. So mm. it's just a kind of advice chapter. Yeah, yeah. On how, to, how to run horror games. Yeah, a sure. lot of a lot of these uh, were already covered in the original Black Box of Ravenloft, with, mm. because despite the idea that Gothic that Ravenloft was all Gothic horror and it said Gothic horror mm. on the on the cover, it and, and of course the, the picture was of a vampire, yeah. a, a traditional Dracula style vampire as well, wasn't yeah. it on the cover? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. But it, then it, again, like posing dramatically in the romantic fashion. So it was like, you know, had like a little breeze. An amazing, like, Caldwell cover. But <laughs> Ravenloft, despite saying gothic horror on the cover, had like uh, Blood Spur, which was already a body horror, cosmic horror mm. domain mm. right to the south of Barovia. And uh, there was like Surani, which was Mississippi Delta domain uh, with uh, mm. lots of, which was ru- ruled by a zombie lord. So it was like. Ooh. The first adventure oh, so. for that domain mm. was Night of the Living Dead, Night of the Walking mm. Dead, something like that, mm. and which was yeah. a, a zombie apocalypse in a New Orleans type domain. So Ooh. there is that. Exactly. I, I, I like that they are calling out those different and specifying the different genres of horror they, they are covering because yeah, it, yeah, like it's easy to fall into a, a rut of 
always doing the same type of Raven yeah. always going back to Strahd. They always go back to yeah, Strahd, yeah. Strahd, Strahd, Strahd. Uh, yeah, even I wrote the Strahd. I like that. I like the, the separation of styles because it's easier to, mm. you know, some people prefer ghost stories and are not into body horror. Yeah, see, so yeah. I'm not into body horror at all, not even mm. slightly, but I do like a really creepy ghost story. You know, the sort of one where you go to bed and you're like, I think I might leave the lights on. That sort of, <laughs> that sort of ghost story is the, is the thing yeah. I like. You can do the body horror thing in, with uh, several. A werewolf story can be a body horror story. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You stop trusting your own body. What, mm. what was I doing yesterday? I don't remember anything. That's a body horror trope. That oh, your okay. your body is, is betraying you. It's not just your body's changing visibly, like you're growing a tentacle or something like that. Yeah. Um, so chapter three, domains of Ravenloft. This is a big chapter. So this mm. is like a hundred and twenty, yeah, hundred and thirty pages, yeah. nearly the entire mm. book. Uh, yeah. And this detail is basically uh, a big old list of domains, and each one yeah. with sort of like three or four pages each. Yeah. Some of them are a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna like read through the entire list. There's loads of them. But um, could, could, I, could I just check? It mentions the mists. Is hmm. as I recall, that would be the conceit by which one blunders into Ravenloft. You yeah. go through the mists, and then you're like, "Oh, great! Now I'm in Ravenloft." Well, this sucks. yes, yeah, yeah, that's basically okay. it. That's yeah. there's a there's a chapter. There are a couple of things that we can uh, call out here, which are interesting mm -hmm. because there is a, a one of the entries is characters from domain. So it, mm -hmm. it's probably advice on using characters native to the domains of Ravenloft instead of mm -hmm. importing players from the other D&D worlds like uh, the mm -hmm. original Weekend in Hell type of adventure that started yeah. Ravenloft. It's, uh, well, the, the, the thing with Ravenloft is it was always designed with those myths just being a way for you to incorporate Ravenloft into your existing campaign, wasn't it? That was basically the reason for the miss originally so you could get someone your forgotten realms campaign transfer the characters to ravenloft and then have a ravenloft adventure really easily yes but mm -hmm. with uh, since uh, third edition late second edition with the domain of dread hardcover book and third edition mm -hmm. it became the norm to play ravenloft with ravenloft native pc you mm -hmm. could have like mm -hmm. some, someone from another world but uh they would be like oh he's not from here he's from and then they say the name of the place they're yeah. from. They're from Kryn, and uh, it's just mm. a thing for that specific character. But it treated the natives of, of the domain as actual people instead of simulacrums stuff like that. Mm. Um, hey, talking of Kryn, I just noticed one domain mm. that's not on this list. Yes, the Ficus is not on the list. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. Mm. It's just not covered. But uh, you can go back to any of the several incarnations of Ravenloft and just copy the, the, the story from there because... Yeah, that, of course, being Lord Soft's domain. I think this is obviously proof positive. We've had the Benalta Carla, which mentioned um, which mentioned uh, Fizban and Palatine, Palatine's um, thing. So now we've got the absence of Kryn, which implies that's in a forthcoming book. Okay. <laughs> Confirmation. During fourth edition, I wrote uh, uh, there was a series of series of articles called History Chat, which kind of mm -hmm. summed up and cleaned out parts of the the story in Dungeons and Dragons. And I wrote one mm -hmm. called uh, History Check Lordstock, which dealt mm -hmm. with 
the life, death, and death of uh, Lorenzoff. And one of the sidebars is what about Ravenloft? Mm-hmm. And the one of the explanations was that the Lord stuff that arrived in Ravenloft that you read about in uh, Night of the Black Rose or played with in uh, those adventures was a shadow of Lord mm. Soth that thought itself Lord Soth. And then uh, after the adventure Night of the Black, uh, when Black Roses bloom, he mm-hmm. ceased to exist in the, in the demiplane and his Seneschal Azrael, which was a dwarven war badger, there's a multiple, uh, took over the domain. So Lord Soth sorry, has sorry. been- Claudio, yes. a dwarven war badger, is that yes. right? Were badger. Were badger. Where badger? Where badger? Not a war badger. Where badger? A war badger sounds equally awesome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Release the war badgers! <laughs> Cry havoc and break loose the badgers. Uh, loose the badgers of war. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I hear what you say. Okay. So uh, at least since uh, late second and early third edition, Lord Soth hasn't been a dark lord in. So, um, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman, if I recall correctly, as far as they're concerned, no, he that, never left Dragon. That never happened. They, yeah, they're like, that did not happen, you know. Yeah. The shadow thing was a way to respect that, you know, actual Warsaw yeah. never happened, but, mm. you know, maybe this guy showed up and he looked like it, but it wasn't really him. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm going to go with that because I never, I, to be honest, I was never that comfortable with the idea of Lord Soth and Ravenloft either. I just, I just, just I, I like it. Me. I like it, the novel, Night of the Black Rose. I like it. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's, a good book. Soth, it's a good book. It's just, I just don't like the idea of Lord Soth being there. Lord Soth, yeah. like, arriving in Barovia and just pissing off Strad all over the place. You know, yeah. Strad. Also, I, I, I don't really like it because a lot of it's done from Lord Soth's point of view yeah. and it kind of humanizes him too much as oh, well, from my liking. Yeah. Uh, he, it humanizes him, but uh, there's, there's a line from, from the book that I think it's really, it really sums up uh, Lord Soth well because Strad was trying to, you know, torture him with sentiments of, of guilt and trying to, to you know, much like Strad, much like Strad blames everyone else for his fault. He mm-hmm. was trying to have yeah. stuff that Soth do that, and then mm-hmm. Soth just fireballs the whole place and, and says, "I am the maker of my own doom. I am the cause of my own damnation." Mm-hmm. So there's there's this bit that he accepts that he is a monster. Yeah, well, there's a lot of self-loathing and self-hatred going on with Soth, isn't there? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. m- much earlier than uh, Darth Vader becoming fueled by, you know, self-hatred, which mm-hmm. is something that happened after the prequel trilogy. It was really a, a really good Vader type. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I've long said, we've even done a sketch on it. Well, we have a of Darth Vader. Yeah. Exactly the same character. <laughs> <laughs> they even look the same. <laughs> it, it's, it's that, it's that. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of interesting looking settings in this. Um, I noticed there's what? Le Caf with Xian Chiang, which looks like a sort of vaguely fascinating yeah, uh, setting. Uh, uh, this domain was in the Dark Lord supplement. It wasn't in the original Black Box. And mm-hmm. uh, it was, it was a, a, an Asian-inspired domain. And I, mm-hmm. because uh, from what I, I, I've learned of, of Wizards practice right now, they probably uh, had uh, someone of Asian uh, descent consult on this 
to mm. you know so it's not well we do we do have in the monsters of ravenloft we have a jiang Shi, which is of course the famous hopping vampires mm. yeah so um if you fancy uh, being pursued by a vampire hopping after you and its own unique horrors there and yeah could there's a, there's a, a few there. domains that are new mm -hmm. that I, uh, i've not uh, heard I, I don't recognize i, I know the carnival mm -hmm. was from a specific adventure that was released mm -hmm. late in second edition that was mm -hmm. it had a cover by uh todd lockwood so a uh, traveling mm -hmm. carnival as a domain which is interesting mm -hmm. and um uh, valakan which is uh, a domain mm -hmm. that had that was in the original black box ruled by an african looking vampire mm -hmm. orb. yeah it, it was Ooh, okay. a, a different version of dnd vampire because back then mm. the dnd vampire would drain energy levels and there was this mm. separate type of vampire which was which would drain blood and drain mm. constitution points this second type okay. the first one obviously was strad and the second one he was named Ulrich von karkov despite being mm -hmm. of african uh, uh, looking like an african man so mm. they probably mm. changed it they changed him to chakuma it seems just to you know let's erase everything that is european about this and have like an african inspired domain mm. yeah instead of turning into a wolf he turned into a black panther so velican forever again yeah i guess so yeah um yeah there's an egyptian one on there saying right? yeah as well yeah. oh the anthropot uh, one uh oh, yeah okay. uh, yeah yeah, Harakir, which yeah. Um, I'm, I, um, I believe they um, uh, they hired a consultant for also. Yeah, Harakir. Uh, there's a there's a preview of it, and I think it's IGN. I think. I yeah, we've got previews of three of these domains actually from three different sites, which I was going to jump into in a sec once yeah. we get through this table of contents. Harakir was changed from you know like a Boris Karloff mummy uh, mummy uh, mm. uh, domain into something like. Yeah. You know, remember that uh, Magic the Gathering set from uh, oh, okay. inspired by but, ancient Egypt. You know, like it was mm. a fantasy Egypt. So yeah, they, they brought that Egypt. sensibility into into Harakir. Mm. Mm, very nice. Uh, there's also good news for fans of Eberron because we've got Sire thirteen thirteen, the Morning Rail, which probably which, is a uh, uh, Orient Express domain. Let's. Let's hope for a haunted train. It, it, <laughs> if, we, if we don't have a ghost train there, because that's sort of rail it is, then I will be one quite who, disappointed. Who hopes for haunted trains? People who like ghost stories for us. <laughs> People buying this book for us. <laughs> it, uh, it is just one page, but yeah. Oh, the, and the uh, headless, I was talking earlier about... Mm -hmm. The headless... Sorry. The headless horseman from uh, the original Dark Lord appendix, uh, supplement, which also mm -hmm. gave us Ikaf. The Headless Horseman probably got his own domain, which was the Rider's Bridge. Ooh. That's another one of those one pages. Yeah, yeah so it's got, one of those one like, pages. Yeah, they've got about half of them get, what, sort of like three to four pages each. Yeah. And then the other half just, or oh, some of them, uh, yeah, because on page 173, there's one, two, three, four, five, six domains just on that page. Yeah, yeah. So some of them are just like a paragraph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. some of them are, a lot of them are. are Traditional Ravenloft domains like Forlorn or Gastria, Gehenna, mm. Nvidia, Kinning, Markovia, the Nightmareland, Nova Vaza, mm. which I always love yeah. the name Nova Vaza. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's, that sounds vaguely Russian. Yes, You've there's, got there's, uh, there's Vaza mm -hmm. in Forgotten mm -hmm. Realms, 
which is a land ruled mm -hmm. by a warlock. And mm -hmm. this is Nova Vaza, the new Vaz. So, um, yeah, so presumably uh, their colony somewhere. Mm. There's one that caught, caught my, my eye, which is the Vague Agency or Beige mm. Agency. I don't know mm, what that beige is. Beige Varg. I don't know how to pronounce it. V H A G E. I won't say Varg, but Varg will be maybe. vague. Yeah. yeah. Varg seems euphonious to me. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what that is. Well, well, my eye was caught by Staunton Bluffs because that feels very much like that's calling to sort of um, a Finland of Eastern England where it's like, you know, you're yeah. there, it's all flat, there's a lot of marsh going on. And you're miles away from I, I, anything I don't remember, civilization. I don't remember the Dark Lord of Southern Bluff. It's uh, yeah. it's very much that's not some know, kind like, of Kate Bush music video. <laughs> yes, it's, it's probably it's probably Bush, the, 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 the Dark Lord of Southern Bluff. <laughs> you Kate heard it; it's confirmed here. <laughs> uh, Southern Bluff. Let's just call it the Emil Bronte, the Bronte sisters uh, domain. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Very gothic horror, like you know, so it's yes. like you're, you're just way in some fens somewhere. Mm. It's like you know, even yeah. more gothic. Anyway, we, got, we, we have we have we have we have more to get through. We have lots to get through. Let's, uh, let's zip on a little bit. Um, we then have a chapter just on horror adventures in general, mm -hmm. horror toolkit, curses, traps, um, how to run horror games, yeah. uh, how to use the Taroka deck and the spirit mm. board. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a chapter of monsters, mm -hmm. which is about 30 pages, yeah. uh, and it just contains a whole bunch of horror-themed monsters. Yeah. Um, uh, brain in a jar, carrion stalker, body taker plant. Any of those jump out at you? Uh, probably star spawn emissary. That's, uh, that feels very Lovecraftian to me. Yeah. I'm not sure. And of course, let's not forget the were-raven. He's <laughs> no were-badger, but you know, it's a close second. Mm. I think probably the thing that I'm most surprised about is what's missing from this yeah. rather than what's already there. Because I don't see any safety tools. And if you're if you're going I to play with there Potter, was. Well, I, well, I'm That's not seeing interesting. it. In, I don't see it in the index. Perhaps I'm just being like, but, you know, skipping over stuff. But it doesn't I, appear to be in the maybe it's in the introduction, but it's not I specifically called out. It's in the running horror games section there. Mm. About page hundred and eighty. Yeah, it's got Three pages and after the horror. Yeah, and preparing uh, for horror. So yeah. 185 through to page 190. So about yeah, maybe that pages. maybe that's where they're kept. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which I mean, that would be guess. that that would be an unfortunate omission when dealing with potentially very sensitive subjects. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's been a, a, a with all the the gaming community reflecting society's mm. new uh, more respectful vision of mental illness and ableism mm. and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, Ravenloft now kind of moved past the whole uh, madness checks and horror checks, and now it's mm -hmm. fear and stress. Yeah, yeah. Stress, uh, which is in the horror adventure section, and, uh, which, and it has an actual adventure in there, which is the House of Lament, mm. which is uh, one of those haunted houses oh, type of story. And uh, mm -hmm. the House of Lament was originally in the Dark Lord supplement as well. It's cool that it Watsi recognized that uh, madness, insanity, and stuff like that are not some uh, ability score to check off. Mm. And they they moved past that depiction of mental illness to something that it's stress based. So you can mm. have the stress can the stress can be traditional horror 
from seeing something like what you usually see in old Ravenloft adventures, or it can be something that causes like an overwhelming sense of inadequacy, like the, the cosmic horror feeling that, you know, you're just mm. a speck of dust in an immortal universe. Yes. So we have, um, we have previews of three of the um, domains here. Yeah. So these were sent out to different um, websites. We've got Forbes, Sci-Fi Wire, and Polygon. Mm. Each got one. Right. Forbes, they yes. take a look at... I do, here's where I... Uh, Demontlou? A word. Demontlou, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. my guess. It looks like it's, it's got a vaguely French-looking feel yeah. to it. Yeah. So this is, has inspirations of like Cinderella, Mask mm. of the Red Death, and Dark City. I don't know what Dark City is, but I know what right. the other two are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dark right. City uh, was that it's... movie by uh, Kiefer Sutherland oh. and uh, Jennifer Connelly and Rufus Sewell, where Rufus, mm. it's, it, at first it feels like a noir story set yeah. in a timeless 1930s city. Oh, yeah. Then it evolves beyond that. It's a really mm. good movie. Mm. 1998 well, near noir. I'm sure I must have seen this, but I, I, I certainly, I'm not quite sure I see the connection between that and well, this is, is, the more fairy tale side of things. Yeah, so this is, it's, uh, it says it's a sharp contrast to yeah. the like dark forests and gothic castles in Barovia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what we've got here is a glamorous sheen of fine clothes, mm-hmm. fancy parties, and everyone wants to be invited to the grand masquerade held by Duchess Cedra Donaire every week on a private island, mm-hmm. and uh, in many cases killed if they are discovered at the ball if they're not supposed to be there. Oh, that's a very severe gate-crashing policy. But, um... well, there's, there's a lovely piece of art there with someone at the ball uh, being disintegrated, yeah. and there's a creature behind him holding a dustpan and brush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, it's just like, I don't even know what... Oh, yeah, it's like a little goblin with a, with a Venetian mask on it. It's like, mm. they're, they're just going on going, oh, dear, I best clear the internet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's, sort it's a of lovely like, piece of art. It's really nice. I like that a lot. It, it's quite evocative to me of Labyrinth, you know, where the goblet, where you got, like, the grand ball Labyrinth. scene at the end. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, Jared has got... Jared is like doing a big dance. Everyone's wearing Venetian masks and all going around. I can't, I can't, I can't see any, um, any David Bowies. Well, what can I say? It's probably a swell. I mean, from this <laughs> angle, you'd see far too much of some things. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Sci-Fi Wire, they took a look at La Mordia, oh. which is the one that's inspired by basically Frankenstein, pretty yes. much. Classic horror. That's the body horror one. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's a domain that says for all different types of science gone wrong, bizarre mm-hmm. experiments, yep. body horror weirdness. So... It's, it's Frankenstein and more. Ah, so, so. I can yeah, see it's, uh, lots of that. It's interesting, uh, since we're talking about specifics of these, uh, mm-hmm. Lamordia is one of those domains where they uh, try to uh, move past simple copying. So instead of being a male doctor, Victor Mordenheim, mm-hmm. which was the mm-hmm. original Dark Lord, it's a woman, it's a Victra Mordenheim. And I expect ah, yeah. I expect the the creature because where there's a Mordenheim, there's always a creature. I don't know if Adam will still be the creature that she created. It's probably going to be a woman. I, I kind of get any idea that there'll be more than one creature in this one. Yes, but it's there's there is one specific. You know, everyone, yeah, every yeah. other flesh golem creature is is uh, 
Was it the creature was actually the Dark Lord, wasn't? Yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it, it was kind of shared, but yes, uh, Adam was the original Dark Lord, but yeah. they had a bit of a symbiotic relationship. There, there wouldn't be no Adam without Victor, and vice versa. So yeah, yeah. The the domain responded to Adam, but uh, Victor had more chance to interact with character. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. So the last one, Polygon. This yes. one was Harakir, the Egyptian-themed mm. one. So we've got a desert riddled with ancient, inexplicable, haunted monuments and ruined pyramids. Mm-hmm. How does the domain like that exist? How does it make sense? To the extent it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I imagine there's going to be lots of Egyptian themes and things like probably... Pro- I'm, I'm hoping if I was going to run it, I would probably lean heavily into... If you've read Terry Pratchett's Pyramids, and they mm-hmm. have things like... An, uh, especially when like reality has collapsed a little bit, uh, well, quite a lot, and there's like just this all the death gods at once, and there's just an endless desert with monolithic black pyra- pyramids like standing there in all their cyclopean glory. Um, although I see the illustration that comes with it is of Ankatope, Dark Lord of Harakir, and they have the most fantastic set of tights and uh, golden ballet slippers. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure is anyone else getting that off that, or... Well, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I pointed out, you can't unsee it. <laughs> so this is, this, is the, this is the interesting, like, the approach that they've gone with this, mm. because mm. obviously if you're writing a domain based on sort of a fantasy version of Egypt, mm-hmm. you kind of got to be careful. So <laughs> what, what they've done is, um, so like um, Bodice Carlo, mm-hmm. um, like the Mummy, uh, the Brendan Fraser stuff, um, it's kind of more sort of outsiders coming in and having adventures mm. in this Egyptian themed setting is kind of how mm. those those properties approach that. Yeah. So this time they provide you with what you need to be someone from Harrogate and that world oh. is your world, not you're you're not okay. sort of like foreign interlopers coming in and yeah. Yeah, going, even, isn't that exotic sort of thing. Even even the the Ravenloft adventure search of death which was mm. one of the original Ravenloft domains. The cover had a very well painted, but it was still a Boris Karloff type mummy looming mm. over a blonde Vistani girl. Yeah, yeah. Which is like, that, there's several layers of wrong there because mm. you have the, the, the juxtaposition of Vistani, uh, which is uh, an arc, uh, a version of the Roma people, blonde. Mm-hmm which is pretty much not what the Roma people tend mm. to look like. And, uh, and in a very Eastern European garb in uh, an Egyptian setting. Yeah, yeah. There's a disconnect there, right on the cover. So uh, well, that's, kind of, that's kind of what is, is like an exact example of what's meant by appropriation, isn't it? It's yeah. exactly that. It's exactly that. I like what they're doing. They're moving uh, Harakir and Antipod Towards something more like the Magic the Gathering Amonkhet set, which mm. is a, fun, a fantastic version of Egypt, and mm. still it, uh, a, it's a setting that, like every other Ravenloft setting, it's shaped by its Dark Lord. So mm. things look that way because it fits Anctipod. And if things don't make sense because you know it. Uh, uh, it doesn't have a, a, a long history. It, it, it was something that the domains are created 
for the Dark Lord. So it doesn't mm-hmm. have like a history of ancient pyramids and all that, but still there are ancient pyramids in this domain. So why is there, why are there uh, ancient pyramids in this domain? Why were they created? So it, mm-hmm. there's a, a, a bit of uh, that, that feeling that, you know, things shouldn't be this way. It uh, mm-hmm. really uh, uh, enters the minds of the residents of, of Harakir. So that's yeah. part, that, that, that's part of what shapes the adventures there. But uh, moving it beyond, you know, simply being like an ancient Egypt domain opens up uh, modern technology, like you can have a Harakirian plate armor, or you can have, mm. it opens up more roads of, of adventuring there instead of, was, yeah. instead of being uh, uh, constrained by what was available in ancient Egypt. Mm. So did you do any art in this book? Um, um no but not this one no but uh once i i i saw the north of arcana with the gothic lineages that's when mm. i got my first clue that there was a ravenloft book coming so i contacted mm. the art director saying that i love ravenloft it's one of my top three uh uh D settings and she said if had i known it was a passion project for you. I would have assigned you a few pieces, but the art was all done. Right, but, right. Uh, I may have art in something slightly related to that, which I can talk Ooh. right now because I'm doing the art right now. Not actually oh. right now. I'm, right now, I'm talking to you. Right now, while while you're talking on this podcast, <laughs> that's multitasking for you. Yes, podcast, <laughs> amazing sketch. Uh, so there will be some Ravenloft artwork from me. Uh, related to this, but I can't go into anything. Okay, well, we'll we'll keep an eye out. So, um, sticking on D and D, then I think we're kind of done with waving off for the moment. But sticking on D and D, we have got some news. We have got, in fact, Peter's favourite thing: an announcement oh. of an announcement. Oh wow! How exciting! Okay, it's been a while since Twist something. of the Coast has announced an impending announcement, but 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 here we go. So. Ooh, ooh. Um, on May the 5th, yes. they released a press release, which was yesterday or the day before? Two days ago? Day before. Two days ago. Day before yesterday. Yeah. Um, announcing D&D Live 2021, which right. is a big live streaming event. Um, yeah. They've had a couple of these already. but yeah, yeah. This is one. Uh, And part of this streaming event is going to be where they announce some new products. Mm-hmm. So they've announced that on the 16th, and 17th of July, they are going to be announcing via a big streaming event a bunch mm-hmm. of new products. I don't know what mm-hmm. they are. Presumably the, the later releases for this year, I guess. I can, but this streaming event... I they, can't talk about sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> you know! Oh, wow. I can't talk about it. <laughs> I can't even say that I know what I know. Uh, Wizard of the Coast. I've partnered up with a company called G4, which... I googled. The first Google result I got I hope it's not was group four security. Well, the first thing I got was group four security, which yeah. is definitely a problematic thing. But I guess it wasn't that. I, I, then, I sincerely then I hope got not, because those people second, cannot do anything right. It is embarrassing. Anyway. Then I got a second place X Factor winner from from like the first series back in two thousand and four or something. Okay. And I guess it's probably not them either. <laughs> a boy band. I'm, I'm waiting for you to say what it actually is. Well, I'm still not 100% time. sure what it is, but apparently it's yeah. some kind of US video gaming, t- 
TV channel which used to be around and is coming back or something. Right. So what? a choice star, a fail, a failed security, a failing security film um, that has real difficulty keeping prisoners where they're supposed to be. And I don't think they're failing. They're like one of the biggest companies in the world. But well, they get a lot of money. They're just not very good at what they actually do. Like. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could get paid for being really bad at my job. Yeah, anyway, politics. politics. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I, I, yeah, sorry. Anyway, my tax dollars at work. Anyway, um, yeah, and G4, the boy band, they sound plausible. Uh, and they've always got a, a, a TV channel that used to be famous, isn't anymore, but is starting to come back. Is that, is that the size? So this is, I've got, they've got an about G4 thing on the uh, press release. It says, G4, right. the yes. next generation network created for gamers by gamers. Like all the Americans listening yes. to this are just shouting at us now because they all know what it is. And they're all like, they're all, oh, I remember G4. I know exactly what that is. How do these, how do these idiots not know what G4 is? But I, 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 I've heard literally nothing about it, <laughs> no, anything. No. I read a lot of RPG stuff, so I thought I'd piss them. Authentic, authentic to its legendary roots. So it has legendary roots. Uh, G4 returns in 2021 with classic shows yes. and brand new original content driven by a passion to yes. entertain, unite, and inspire gaming's enthusiastic and diverse communities. Based in Los Angeles, and available everywhere gamers congregate, G4 is bringing the industry together through content, commerce, and experiences, but set a new standard, this is just word salad, <laughs> set a new standard for gaming, innovation, inclusion, and accessibility. I think what they, I think it's- Wow, like someone disengaged their brain and just like, yeah. let the market droid words flow. Yeah, I think, I think it was a cable channel or something and they now- Yeah, this, be this was a cable channel that ceased operations uh, in 2014. And uh, Audio among, knows who it is. Yes, I am better oh, yeah, at Google man. than you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they had American Ninja Warrior, which is a show that actually even in Brazil there's there was a American Ninja Warrior. Uh, I mean, but Ninja Warrior is pretty cool though. So yeah, it's fair enough. Spaceballs, yeah. the animated series, an oh, X Men, <laughs> an X Men anime. Okay, and. Um, Something called Pearl. So there's that. They they produce okay. a few animes, uh, Marvel-based animes like uh, Iron Man and X Men. Right. Like we're that. probably the only three people in the world who don't know who they are. Oh, I, I bet I bet I bet half the audience knows exactly who they are and just thinks we. I know that they were looking. They were looking for new hosts um, and mm. several um, wrestlers, professional wrestlers who are gamers like mm -hmm. uh, Xavier Woods and Amber Moon mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. uh, uh, campaigning to become G4 hosts as well. Right. Didn't they do D&D Live last year? Yeah. Uh, those names are ringing a bell. I don't know professional wrestlers at all, but those no. names are ringing a bell. There's a, there's a lot of gamers. There was a lot of celebrities last year, but... Um, there's a, there are a lot of... This is unofficial tabletop RPG talk. The, the show with the finger on the pulse of the game. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, uh, D&D Live 2021, 16th and 17th of July, great big streaming event. Um, they've literally just announced it's going to happen, but they haven't told us what the content's going to be. Other than there's going to be a load of streamed games, there's going to be celebrities, and they're going to be announcing new products. And that's basically all we know so far. Yeah, it's yeah. what the D&D Live is every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay. News. Yes. What else we got? I think we might have finished the D and D news now. Finally, that was a big news section. 
That was a lot of news, yeah. That was a lot of news, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have some non-D&D news, or yeah, go on. more RPG-related. Uh, I've spotted on Kickstarter, it's started today, and it's got like 27 days to go, it's the GM's Toolkit for Unconventional Allies, mm. um, which is a nice little Kickstarter campaign and involves lots of different NPCs that you could use for allies. I thought it was quite nice. Um, pointed out to me from Trinity Knox Studios in the UK. So, yeah, there you go. Sure. Nice. Uh, I just look at there isn't the news is pretty much kind of dominated by that. There's Wizard of the Coast. I mean, I, I'm not into Magic the Gathering, but Wizard of the Coast has revealed their Dungeons and Dragons Magic the Gathering cards. Oh, so you okay. might understand what this is more than I do. Yeah, uh, I, they started uh, unveiling the, the new Magic the Gathering uh, expansion set in the Forgotten Realm. Just mm, yesterday, I, I could see. I could see. I saw the I card see a TM yeah, hat in front of me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking at TM right now. The whole the, the card is gonna get banned so hard because it's a, it? if you play TMS and you need like yeah. seven, mm. you need a huge amount of mana to do that. Oh yeah, yeah. You can you win. flip through your your graveyard, which which are your discarded yeah. uh, uh, cards okay, for yeah. five dragons, different dragons. They are not. That are not CMS and have a unique name and play the five dragons at once. Vroom, and then you shuffle your deck. So then you have five dragons plus TMS on the table. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the rules. So I, I haven't played that much Magic the Gathering, but Ooh, the whole thing I, is yeah. you add five dragons to your hand. So, yeah, so the card is when Tiamat enters the battlefield, yes. if you cast it, yeah. Search your library for up to five dragon cards not named Tiamat that yeah. each have different names, reveal yeah. them, put them in your hand, then shuffle. It should have like some little symbols on the card. Like, it's um, got lots of symbols and things, yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 up at the top, like there's like little in little circles, like yeah. red, green, yeah, black. Yeah, little, little things, yeah. Yeah, so it's got lots of red, black. Blue. Yeah, it's got, it's got a bunch of ones with yeah. one with a little star in it, and one. How, how much does it cost? This question. Um, cost. Yeah. yeah, that that. I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna look at it for you. Yeah, yeah, it, please. Cause two like, of any mana. Two. Uh, it's two white, two uh, blue, two black, red, two yeah. red, uh -huh. two green. Uh, it's two and the symbols for all the mana. It's uh, a oh, seven okay. seven. It's a seven seven card. Yeah. Okay. Oh, two mats only seven seven. Oh. But no, I suppose it's like all the dragons. Mm. That's that's not that's not as expensive as I thought it was going to be. To be fair, but wow, that's a lot of dragons. Well, I'm also looking at a beholder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm also looking at a legendary creature, the Praetor, and a mm -hmm. human rogue artificer mm -hmm. uh, called uh, the Whirler Rogue, and the uh, legendary creature is Voring Clex, Voice of Hunger. The, it's interesting. Usually, the the land cards, which are the cards that give you the mana you need to, you know, play the others, they're just the the, the image of the land, and there's no text. But on mm -hmm. this setting, each land mm. card will have an adventure seed under. Oh, nice! So, yeah, like for a swamp. So it's locations in the forgotten realms and so um, forth. It's more generic than that. It's like oh. a swamp. The swamp, mm -hmm. uh, which is black mana, uh, it says mm -hmm. something. You came to these uh, swamp ruins expecting to find some drow residents or drow 
and mm-hmm. but it vacated it's empty and stuff like that what could possibly have happened here mm. something something i'm also seeing a vorpal sword here as well mm. and um so this one hasn't got a bunch of those symbols at the top so i, I don't know what uh, equipped creature gets plus two slash plus zero and has death touch uh, until end of turn. A Vorpal Sword gains whenever equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, that player loses the game. Okay, wow. Yes. Um, I think. Is that good? Bad? I don't know. <laughs> well, well I, I don't know. Um, it's something that could, like, completely. Uh, if this creature touches you, which is a not uncommon occurrence you lose the game that is a fairly significant uh thing so yeah okay yeah I was like, uh, power wow. word kill let me give you one power word kill mm. it's a one black yeah, yeah. one black mana what uh, oh yeah destroy target creature yeah destroy target non-angel non-demon non-devil non-dragon creature yeah 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 uh, that's... Spell. portable hole yeah, it's an artifact <laughs> when portable hole enters the battlefield exile target mm. non-land permanent an opponent control <laughs> with mana value two or less until portable hole leaves the battlefield oh that's mean a prosperous yeah. innkeeper creature halfling citizen when prosperous <laughs> innkeeper enters the battlefield creates a treasure token it's an artifact yeah. with the there's a squiggly arrow in it sacrifice this yeah. artifact add one mana of any color whenever another creature okay. enters the battlefield under your control you gain one life that's uh, one green mana, nice. one by one by one creature. Yeah, yeah. No, that seems uh, that's quite good. Yeah, um, the vocal sword is ludicrous, but yeah. Let let yeah, me let crazy. me run you by the the, the land flame. Yeah. It's a, a kind of an underground desert uh, image. Mm. Venturing beneath the desert sand, you've discovered an mm. alien power pulsing with inconceivable energy. Mm. Island. Nice. It's like a a uh, huge tornado of water, uh, oh. like a typhoon. Uh, a alarmed, almost, yeah, yeah. Alarmed by the news you brought, the storm giant king of the Maelstrom has called his kin to council. Swamp. <laughs> uh, you expect you expected to meet hostile drow in this ancient ruin, but they fled hmm. long ago. What darkness could have driven them out? Mountain. Hmm. Okay. As you make your camp near the ancient ruin, you hear the sound of drums echoing in halls where no dwarf has lived in generations. Mm. And forest. Before mm. the elf queen will aid you, you must find a way to cure the strange rot flicking the roots of the ancient tree. Mm. That all sounds very evocative. So yeah. the box that they are using, uh, Adventure Seeds, is boxed uh, text for the basic land. Yeah, well, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, Interesting right. stuff. A uh, strong cross-promotional tool. It took, him, took him long enough to make a, a D&D Magic the Gathering set, eh? Well, yeah, I mean, I completely agree, Claudio. Let me look at the Vorpal Sword. Yeah. Wow. Oh, there are two uh, oh, standard, extended, and promo cards for the Vorpal Sword. Yeah. Okay, the extended <laughs> the art goes to the border. That's it. And okay. the promo, I guess the card is uh, laminated. Something like mm-hmm. that. It's a Chrome card. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Are you Are you back? Hello, hello. We're here. <laughs> Do you recall the uh, woeful tale of my Death Knight Hero Forge miniature? The one that Hudson ate. The one that my dog Hudson ate. Oh, so yeah, I, I ordered I this. I saw the picture. 
Yeah, so I ordered this miniature. I, we talked about it before on the show, but yeah. I, I ordered this miniature from Hero Forge, designed it. Yeah. Uh, it cost me $99 plus shipping. Yeah. So it came to about 110, 112 or something dollars. Um, it took like three or four weeks to get to me because yeah. Brexit stuff, whatever. Yeah. Uh, fin- fin- finally got to me. Had it for all of five uh, I minutes. <laughs> I admired it. I admired it from various angles. Placed, placed my miniature down, went to make a cup of tea, came back and found that my dog had eaten it. Which, <laughs> which meant I owned that miniature for only a few minutes after paying $99 for it. That was the was most very... expensive Chewy toy I had. Yeah, I was very, very sad. Very, very kind. Story. You love your dog so much to buy him a ninety-nine dollar really. chewing toy. Oh. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't love him uh, then. Oh. <laughs> it's you know anyway, it's your fault. The story. Right? The story has a happy ending. Uh. Hero Forge reached out to me, yep. and here I hold in my hands. A replacement, which they reached out to me and said that they would send me a replacement Death Knight. And here he is, in one piece. Yes. Oh, my God. Completely out of reach of Hudson. (laughs) (laughs) I'm expecting a sort of Jaws-like moment where Hudson leaps. (laughs) Yes, they leap into the frame. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, they also sent me a couple of others as well, free, which was rather nice of them. These aren't cheap, because these are 3D printed. in colour. Yes. You can see this is full colour. I haven't painted yeah. this. This is how it comes. No, indeed, yeah. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that was really, really nice. So thank you to uh, Hero Forge for sending those out. They've, uh, nice they've won a customer for life from me. <laughs> Hero Forge yeah, rules, been. man. Yeah, bloody Ooh. awesome there. Yeah. Right, I think we've probably finished the news for the week. Yes. It was very D&D focused this week, wasn't it? Just a touch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it happens. It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. So, shall we play our favourite game in all the world? The game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Yes, <laughs> I can't. Sure. I can't remember. Did, 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 you, did, you win, did you win the last one, Claudio, or did I? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, of course I won. I was, I was, <laughs> I was the guest. Oh, the one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Ooh, how this game is played. Challenge <laughs> accepted. <laughs> the gauntlet has been thrown. Uh-huh. All right then. So I don't need to recap the rules because you've played before. So who would like to go first? I'll go first if that's right. All right then. Yeah. So, Peter, yeah. what is Court of Blades? Oh, damn it. Um, I know this one. It's, you know it. Oh. It's Blades in the Dark, and it is, um, uh, I think I saw it on Twitter or something, and it's basically about um, courtly intrigue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, so since you I, know it, we'll move on. But, it, it's, uh, a, it's a fantastic name, because I saw it, remembered it, and I, I was able to describe exactly what it was. So, yeah. yeah. Well, well done, Court of Blades. That was a top Yeah, so it uses the Forge in the Dark Engine uh, and its courtly drama, power, politics, magic, peril, and romance. But um, you don't get any points for that because you already knew it. So we move on and we give you a different one. Absolutely. So, what is Ironsworn Starforged? It's Ironsworn colon Starforged. Yeah, John Harper likes this one. Um, This was drawn to my attention on Twitter. So you know this Uh, one too? 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ironforged is a uh, role-playing game system which has apparently an excellent solo player, single-player mode. And this is the uh, sci-fi version of the Iron Sworn fantasy system. Okay, let's try another one then. Okay. This is supposed to be Peter knows all the Kickstarters. I'm yeah, supposed to try looking, ones I don't know. Stop looking at Kickstarter. <laughs> I just need to. It just people, and they just keep on appearing in front of me. <laughs> okay. What is the prophecy of nine omens? Oh, I don't know this one. I Yay, we win. Found one. He doesn't know. Yes. Uh, okay. Um, it is, however, an absolutely amazing. Oh, God, no. I think I do know this one, actually. Is it an adventure oh, no. for levels 10 to 12 in D&D? Yes. Yeah. Right, Peter, you are um, banned from looking at Kickstarter. Oh, sorry. I'm on the internet all the time. <laughs> like, let, let, let me get a free where I can get a vaccination, and then maybe I'll leave the house. How about that? So it's, uh, yeah, your characters I, I travel to a lost let, undersea let, realm. Let me, try, let, me, let me give one to Peter. Let me see if he knows this one. All right. Okay, Peter, what is Flame of Udoom? Tiny RPG fantasy. Um, Flame of a Dune. Uh, well, I don't know that one. So that is an Ooh. excellent start. It <laughs> makes this game <laughs> much more feasible. Um, I imagine it is a uh, adventure path or like sort of that sort of scenario uh, for the tiny RPG. Um, how do you spell a Dune? A Dune. It's uh, U D U N. Flame of Udun. I don't really have any anything to go on with Udun because it's like sort of a made-up fantasy word, which is fair enough. Um, I am hoping for a Middle Udun. East. Sorry. Go back to the shadow flame of Udun. Oh, okay. Uh, that's what Gandalf says to the Balrog on Lord of the Rings. Does that oh, ring a bell? It has uh, nothing to do fight. with it. It's a it's a series of tiny miniatures for yes. for. Uh, Printing at home, 3D printing at home, and they look like tiny, I don't know, blobs of clay, something like that. Very cartoonish. Then okay. one of them, one of them looks like Gandalf. Gandalf the blob. Mm. That's so. So Harry. So Claudia, blob, how many? Oh how, God, many how many Potter. points? How how many points will you give Peter for for his guess? Oh no point. Uh, I think he loses. Oh, harsh, harsh. Okay, no, no. He, 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 this brand new, this brand new well, format well, where well, I ask the competitors to score each other. He didn't know. He didn't know the quote from Lord of the Rings. What do you want me to do? Okay, I give him two points. Two points, Peter. Two points. Oh, that's so, all right, sure. I've got, I've got one, I've got one for you, Claudia. Hopefully, you don't know what this one is. Okay, are you ready? Yes. This is the lockdown RPG, and lockdown is spelled L-O-K-D-O-W-N. The lockdown RPG is yeah. Mm, it is it a game about uh, trying to? Uh, is it a game about trying to evade the forces of law in a city and lockdown? It is not. It is not. It is not. What it is is two thousand years after they left, a fleet of ships lands to colonize a planet. Survivable only along a narrow strip of the planet's land. This world is home to some nasties, and you have to survive them and make the best of this one. Uh, it's an anime-inspired RPG using the Triforge engine. It, that's right. interesting. Mm. Mm. So how many points does uh, Claudio get, Peter? 
Tony, to be fair. Be harsh. Be harsh. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll be super harsh. 300. 300? Oh, to your two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we've actually run out of Kickstarters for this week now because Peter, you have of them. So. Okay, uh, Peter, what I is the last... Okay, Peter, this one. Uh, what is the uh, Genie D's Library of Witticisms? Library of Witticisms, did you yeah, say? Library of Witticisms. Uh, well, I know just being on Twitter that G I don't know this Kickstarter because I haven't seen it. Uh, but I do know that Ginny D is a Twitter personality who talks about how you shouldn't pay attention to mechanics in role playing and should just do whatever role playing you like best, which is fair, yeah, I guess. But that seems to be whatever she pops up in my feed for. Um, so I guess this is like funny things she has said, and it's a collection of that. All uh, her best tweets compiled. Uh, kinda, no. Uh, the Library oh, of Witticism <laughs> uh, is a collection of three 100-card decks designed right. to inspire your RPG uh, characters' jests and quips. So you have a deck of uh, flirts, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a deck of insults, which mm -hmm. is useful when you cast Vicious Mockery. Mm -hmm. And you have a book of jokes, terrible jokes, for uh, yes. when you cast the spell Hideous Laughter. So, how did the druid upset the, taba the Tabashi? I don't know. How did the druid upset the Tabaxi? By casting Barks. Oh. I don't know. It's one for all the dads out there. Um, <laughs> like... You, you, you heard it here first, like, here, get, get in and back that I Kickstarter always, and I never run out of material for DT games. I always invite my McConaughey friend to party. He's, he's a, a fun guy, guy to be with. He's a fun guy. Yeah. Mm, <laughs> that old chestnut. <laughs> no, so, Rich, it's, it's a mushroom, not chestnut. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, 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 a useful tool for people who are terrible at improv. It helps to have something prepared, you know. If you play a bard and you have vicious mockery, you want to actually, you know, insult the yeah. target, deal mm. psychic damage. So yeah, uh, well, well, I don't think I need any help coming up with terrible jokes. I gotta say, mm. like I haven't, I have a very, very large supply of them. Uh, anyway, I think that's probably the end of our favorite game in all the world for this week, and Never. I don't think we can fairly declare a winner on this one. No, because no, that no. Was I, just I a... think the winners are. The <laughs> that was just listeners. a shamble. <laughs> the winners are the. The winners are the, 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 the listeners because they're are they the winners or are they the losers? One of the two. They are they are well if they made it through that, then they are definitely winners, I guess. Oh no, I, I think in this game they're only losers. <laughs> <laughs> I've been sucked into this online multiplayer survival game. And it seemed like a perfect fit for tabletop gaming. So I wrote a system about it. You'd been shipwrecked on a mysterious island full of mysterious mysteries to uncover as you explore and attempt to survive in the harsh environment. Well, I, do I like was wondering I was wondering if you wanted to help me test it out. Oh, I do like a mysterious mystery. Yeah, that sounds fun. Right, okay. Okay, let's start then. So you are on a beach having just been shipwrecked. What do you do? Ooh. Wait, shouldn't I be making a character first? Well, your stats are based more on your equipment than any innate abilities. I mean, you're just an average person trying to survive. So, so again, what do you do? Ah, equipment, right. Uh, so what do I have on me? 
Uh, let me just mark that down real fast. Okay, so you don't have anything on you, but the beach has rocks and driftwood scattered around, and there are trees not too far away. Hmm. So what do I do if I don't have any equipment, since all my abilities are determined by my equipment? Uh, I'm marking that down. Okay. Uh, well, you, you do whatever you have to in order to survive. I mean, you'll have to use your ingenuity to craft all the tools you need. Uh, I get it. I get it. I get the idea now. So I pick up a rock and a piece of wood. Uh, I can make an axe. Exactly. So now you have a crude stone axe. Hey. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you spent three turns looking around in your pockets, and according to the marks I've been making, your thirst meter has maxed out, and you have died of dehydration. Oh, wait, what? It's a survival game. Every moment you spend is important. You must secure food and water as quickly as possible. So, do you want to try again? Okay, sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Right, so you wash up on the beach and... I quickly put together a stone axe from the wood and branches I head into the forest. Ah, good, much better. So, you enter the woods and you notice you aren't getting thirsty. Well, as often at least, since you have shade from the sun. Right, right. Do I see a stream or a river nearby? Uh, not here. You might need to explore further. I'm already thirsty, though, aren't I? Uh, well, you need to halfway down, yeah. Is there any other sort of water? Maybe some fruit or juice? Uh, there are some coconuts in the trees around you. Great. I pick up a coconut and... No, no. I said they're in the trees. Well, can't I just climb up and get one? Oh, well, not without a ladder. Can I build a ladder, then? You don't have enough XP to buy that crafting recipe yet. Fine. I'll just chop down the tree and get them that way. Okay. Roll to attack. Attack what? The tree, obviously. You're trying to cut it down, right? Okay. I got a 14. You hit. So, roll damage. Uh, I got a four. So, do I get the coconut yet? Uh, no, no, you know, you'll have to attack it again. Alrighty. Uh, 12. That's another hit. Roll for damage. Six. Good, good. But the tree is still standing. Oh, you gonna make me sit here and roll every single attack against a tree? Attacking trees to get basic resources is an important part of every survival game. Can't we just sit forward five minutes so the podcast listeners don't have to hear us act out a dozen dice rolls at least? Fine. Only for the listeners, though. So it takes you 17 attacks, but you finally manage to bring down the tree. Uh, it lands on your head and does 42 damage, killing you. You have got be kidding me well what did you expect using a crude stone axe for lumberjacking you mean i have to start all over again well obviously no hand holding in this game fine i walk up on shore grab a rock and a branch and go as fast as i can to the forest i start chopping down a tree roll your attack the listeners fine fine you attack this tree 14 times i run away as it starts to fall the tree crashes to the ground, breaking into usable and uniformly sized planks of wood and a pile of three coconuts. Yes, perfect. I go and... And now your starvation meter has maxed out and you have died. Rudith, I'm done. But what about the mysterious mysteries of the mysterious island? What good are mysteries if I can't live to walk 50 feet? You just need to figure out how to survive long enough to build the resources you need. Just do that. We've been at this two hours already. You didn't think to check the online walkthrough first. Hey, so Peter, I was uh, I was walking down the road the other day and uh, I saw this bunch of really cool, good-looking people. Cool. Good-looking. 
That could only be our patrons. Yep. Man, I have never seen such a well-informed debonair bunch in all my life. Yeah, right. You know, why is that? I don't know. You tell me. Well, if I was forced to speculate, I guess it's because they listen to our top secret, super exclusive bonus episode every week. Bonus episode? What? Yeah. Each week, our patrons get an extra half hour or even more of extra content that nobody else gets to hear. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Where can they find this? Oh, it's pretty simple. You just head over to patreon.com slash morris and pledge a monthly donation. Anything from a dollar to whatever you think we're worth. Huh, I did a, uh, a scientific calculation once just to see how much we're worth. Oh, yeah. How much? Uh, you probably don't want to know. Probably for the best. Anyway, if you, if you enjoy our podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash morris and, you know, just pledge a little. That's patreon.com slash morris. And thank you so much for your support. We couldn't do this without you. I reckon we could. Shh. So, art. We're going to talk about art and yes. artists and the business of art. If only we knew some artists. Yeah. yeah. Do you know any artists uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. we could talk to, Claudia? I <laughs> uh, can't help you with that. You should get some. Oh, well, never mind. Never mind. Let's just take this off. So, from from the perspective of an artist making a living as an artist in the RPG industry, what you've you've basically gone as far as I can make out, and obviously you can correct me on this. You've basically gone from charging sort of like when you started, you were charging I think something like hundred dollars or something for the for a cover of a book to, to a couple of grand now. So over 20 years, your career has, you know, been, you've developed your career. Yes. So now you're working for Wizards of the Coast and stuff like that. But that's not how it always was. That's not how you started. No. So uh, I started, it was a different time in the world. Yeah. The internet was just getting started. We were all like dial-up machine. And uh, I was, my, it was my, without knowing, it was my first online portfolio. I did, Ooh. I did for myself, uh, I built a GeoCities website mm. and every week I would put up one or two drawings that I made inspired by D&D was coming, the third edition was coming out. And in the lead up to third edition, uh, Wizards, of the, Wizards of the Coast posted a uh, concept art for, for third edition. And that got me really inspired to do, you know, oh, I can, I can, anyone can post stuff on the internet. I should do that too. So I started GeoCities website and every week I posted a piece of artwork there, which was a drawing a character or a fantasy race or a monster like a hobgoblin or a cleric or a elf. And I was doing that every week without fail for like two, three months, I guess. And every time I did it, I went on Ian World and posted that, oh, I have new artwork up. I have new artwork up. And the guys from Fiery Dragon saw not only the, that the style that I was doing, which was very comic book based, uh, was uh, fit their idea, but I was doing that on a regular schedule. Mm-hmm. So they contacted me about doing some counters for them, for mm-hmm. an adventure that they had coming out which was uh, Nature's, Nature's Fury. And I gave them a prize, and then they, they agreed to it. Actually, they, uh, I, gave, I gave them two quotes, one for smaller uh, 
counters than one for larger ones. And then they just went for the larger ones because I was charging way too little. And uh, so, what were you? So, what were you charging? So, because it's kind of more about the economics and business of. Uh, so, what, it was what, what, what were the numbers like at the time? Twenty-five dollars for one counter, one-inch counter. Right. Yeah. So I started doing work for them, and it was like the first adventure I had like twenty counters. Mm. So that was like a hundred dollars, which was mm. was was not a lot, but it it, it was my foot on the yeah. Well, wait, 25 times 20, that's 500? So, uh, yeah, 500. So, compared to now then, because obviously you're yeah. not a starting artist now. Yeah. So, what, what, say a company came to you and wanted the exact same thing now, and they said, Claudio, we want to make these counters. What would you quote them now, 20 years later? Um, my art style changed a lot since then. The, yeah. Those counters, I was able to do like, two, sometimes three per day. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was earning something like $75 a day mm-hmm. when I had uh, work to do. Today, my art style is fully painted. So mm-hmm. to have, I can make at most one uh, character portrait per day, and that's pushing it because that yeah. leaves me uh, no, no uh, time to research you know uh get reference pictures or mm-hmm. research uh, weapons armor uh folds of clothing body types yeah. facial expressions stuff like that i always try to build a reference library for each yeah. piece that i do and that usually that tends to take at least one day and then on the other day i do my painting yeah but, so i guess the better question would be if you were going to advise an artist because I know for a lot of artists, there's a lot of doubt about how much they should charge because it's like, how much should it's I charge? Every artist, even if they mm. don't think they do, every artist has an overhead. Yes. There's a cost. Yeah. I mean, there's a so, cost. Sorry, just, just very quickly, just the, the, the previous question, because I was kind of curious about the answer to that question. Okay. What would so you charge? Today, I charge for a single character uh, mm-hmm. waist up. Yeah. Let's say yeah. a character waist up. I mm-hmm. charge something at, at least 200 yeah, because yeah. Right, that so, gives me like two days of a hundred dollars uh, per day. Yeah, yeah. To get which your is, research it, done, which, which yeah. I can only afford because mm. I because the, the the exchange rate works in my favor. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because if I if I uh, cost of living is less, so two uh, two hundred dollars goes further for you. There's a, there's other costs. Mm. I, I'm I'm going to circle back to the overhead thing because there's been some some controversy on the subject of foreign artists on the internet. And I'll get to that. But every artist, how much should I cost? You have to remember that you have expenses. You have to pay Mm -hmm. for uh, your housing, your power. If you're sending, even if you work traditionally, if you paint things on paper with ink or markers or something, Mm -hmm. those cost money. Yes, and then yeah. you have to scan it and send it over over the internet. So mm-hmm. you need a scanner, you need a computer, you need internet, internet connection. connection. Yeah, mm-hmm. those cost money. Yeah. So you have to add those up: your food, your your uh, housing, your power, your yeah. uh, computer, your internet connection, your art equi- uh, supplies, and then you have to, which is stuff that you uh, spend 
a whole month, and then you have mm -hmm. to divide it by 20. Mm -hmm. Because you have to factor in that you have, uh, you're uh, allowed to have weekends, you're allowed to have sick days, you're allowed, mm -hmm. you are going to have to spend days of the month doing mm -hmm. non-art stuff, like yes, doing taxes or yeah. arranging your schedule or uh, doing groceries. Looking like family. That. You yeah. have to. So you, so you average it to twenty days a month. So mm -hmm. add that up. You were working twenty days a month. So you yeah. take that yeah. money, that your that overhead, and then you divide it by twenty. That's your daily cost, and that's you don't even factor in. I mean, that's not giving you a profit. That no, is basically this is this is your price floor. Yeah, that's your floor. If you're not yeah. getting paid enough to cover that, that you're paying to work. Yeah. yeah. And that everybody no. wants to pay to work. So you've got to think what your price floor is and what your price ceiling is. It is, I guess, what you think you can charge. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that leads into that conversation about uh, foreign artists, because even if uh, the exchange rate works in my favor, there are things that are disproportionately more expensive for me than for someone living in the US. Mm. Okay. I, I pay uh, like $80, $100 a month for internet connection alone mm -hmm. and i need okay. internet connection uh the, yeah, yeah. a computer mm. here is it costs comparatively two to three times more than it does in the u.s mm. interesting i i work on a wacom tablet i had to travel to the u.s to buy this tablet mm, i okay. bought this tablet through amazon and had it delivered to my hotel at gen con mm -hmm. right. and i brought it back with me because it was too expensive to buy one in brazil Mm. Right, due to the government taxes and so forth. The, the government taxes, so the, the additional cost of shipping and mm. uh, the extra uh, profit of every single middle person in the yeah. chain. And mm -hmm. sometimes it, they're not even available here. Ooh, they are yeah. imported as you buy them. You can mm -hmm. go to a store and say, I want that one. Because the first Wacom tablet I bought in Brazil was at a store and Oh, I want to buy that one, and I picked it up and brought home. It was a tiny one. Yeah. It was like a uh, uh, half like uh, a, home, a book credit type. card, and oh, it okay, cost, half a paperback book. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it, and it it it, uh, it, uh, it it was really expensive mm -hmm. for for me. So yeah. I uh, foreign artists, and uh, in addition to that, I speaking. Yes, but there are artists that have to learn english or had to learn english that's a built-in cost yes that they had to undergo i have i had mm -hmm. to take uh, english courses in addition to school to be able mm -hmm. to speak to you guys today so yeah. that's an additional uh, uh skill that i had to learn just mm -hmm. to be competitive today in the art market yeah mm -hmm. so there's a lot of um, sort of capital costs that you might yes. look at it as like yeah. you have to invest in yourself you have to invest in your infrastructure to be able to be in yes. the market at all is that it's right a, yeah? it, if it's a race foreign artists are beginning from way back in the race mm -hmm. and foreign native artists. people outside of yeah, america we have additional and hurdles. europe yeah we yeah. have additional hurdles to to jump through sometimes the mm -hmm. artist does not speak english and they have to get someone to translate mm. their emails or get uh, an art mm. agency to represent them, so they and the art agency get uh, a percentage of a cut of, of the pay. So, relating to that controversy, I think it's 
really not only unfair, it's downright predatory to pay foreign artists less because the exchange rate is working in their favor. Right, yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of costs that they've already absorbed just in the marketplace. Yeah. So might have a cheaper cost of living, potentially, although things like internet connection will be more expensive because internet they need to pay for... Or, uh, they have to pay for to rent Photoshop or they have to pay for yeah, yeah. Clip Paint Studio or whatever program they work mm -hmm. to send to prepare the files to send to the to the the client. Yes. They have to have mm -hmm. a scanner or they have to pay to get yeah. the painting scanned elsewhere. Mm -hmm. There are additional costs, you know. Yeah. So so to any artists who might be listening at the moment mm -hmm. and they and maybe they're starting out, they haven't had any published art in a gaming product or any anywhere else yet. What what would you say is like the very first thing they should do before before anything else? What's the first step on that road of that career? Make a free online portfolio. Yeah. Get your best ten to fifteen pieces. Put them online mm -hmm. somewhere. Right. You can do it. It, it it can be something like the Viant Art or Art Station or mm -hmm. there are free uh, web hosting services online mm -hmm. you, you mm -hmm. can find one easily and mm -hmm. put uh, your contact information like your mm. social media handle or your email yeah and put uh, make those 10 pieces 10 to 15 pieces the best pieces you make and mm -hmm. even that's what I, people are going to judge you on yes mm. yeah. because you don't want to send your pieces through email oh god no no they, they could get <laughs> Uh, they could get stuck in a spam folder, or mm. it could take a, 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 a be a, a weird. Uh, the, the art director cannot see your stuff on his phone. Maybe he's yeah, yeah. on his commute. Oh, let me check out this person's website. Yeah, mm. they're not necessarily going to open up attachments. They're not. Gonna know, open yeah. Up attachments. yeah, yeah, yeah. There could be all sorts of problems. Yeah. Even as as you're uh, looking for uh, uh, for uh, work, mm -hmm. keep doing personal pieces so that yes. each piece that you make replaces mm -hmm. one piece in your portfolio mm -hmm. only keep your best 10 to 15 so you've got those 10 to 15 pieces up somewhere maybe on a art hosting website maybe on your own website if you've managed to do that do you put your rates on there as well do you do you state them up front or do you uh, or do you wait for people to ask you you wait for people what's the, what's the... it's it's uh, usually you wait for people to ask because yeah there are a lot of uh, variants that go into your actual quote yes because mm -hmm. uh, if you're charging like a hundred dollars for a, what a character commission mm -hmm. oh this person I want to I want you to do my the, the character I'm playing on this game you're mm -hmm. oh, okay a hundred dollars and then you make mm -hmm. it send them through email whatever. you mm -hmm. still own the rights to the image mm -hmm. that person paid you to make that image yeah. and they the the fact that they have access to the image per mm -hmm. their description is what mm -hmm. they paid for but they are not mm -hmm. paying for the rights to publish it uh mm -hmm. especially for profit uh mm -hmm. they're not paying if, if you pay, make a a quarter page illustration that's not mm -hmm. cover material if they take one of your quarter page illustrations they put it on the cover mm -hmm. of a product yeah. they are shortchanging you Yes, yes, they're, uh, they're underpaying you because they're using your thing for something that is much more front and center. 
Yeah. So, well, perhaps, that's, perhaps that's a good way to step into the different types of commissions because you get mm. work for hire, which I think um, yeah, so work possibly for hire, people listening they won't, get won't know what that means. But mm. uh, so, so if we, uh, I mean, the way I do it um, is I generally leave the I um, have contracts where the artist retains all the rights to the work. Yeah. But some companies might do work for hire, which basically means the company owns all the rights to the work. Mm. Yeah. So they're the sort of two different approaches you could do. Yeah. Uh, and presumably you charge more for that than you would for something that you would take the rights to. Precisely. Um, because if you have the art, you could presumably resell it or use it later on. But if you use the work for hire, then you no longer have rights to do yeah, your yeah. creation. Is that, you, is that even if okay. you do yeah. if you, even even if you do work for hire, if you're working traditionally, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. still own the original that you painted. Hmm. Unless yeah. the contract specifically says that they are buying the original from you, right? Yeah, and, okay. and it's yeah. it's a very rare thing to happen. For instance, the the uh, Magic the Gathering. Most artists in Magic the Gathering do work digitally, uh, do work traditionally, and mm -hmm. then they sell the the art piece for mm -hmm. an additional income. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there's an extra source of in income that digital artists do not have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but work work for hire. Yeah. They get all the the rights, and they tell you which rights you retain. So, mm -hmm. for instance, when I do work for Wizards of the Coast, I retain the the right to sell print of my pieces and mm -hmm. to feature uh, those pieces in a, a book about my career or the, the yeah. features of like, my art uh, mm -hmm. uh, to a certain amount. Yeah. There's a, a a limit to how many pieces of work, uh, what percentage of a book can have Wizards of the Coast pieces uh, oh, versus yeah. pieces for, for other publishers. So if it was like 100% so Claudio Posas on Dungeons and Dragons, that would be wiped out. There's a reason why you don't have a Jeff Easley artwork, no. because pretty much 90% of his artwork was for Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. So he can have he can make a, a, a an art book with mm -hmm. his, with his uh, covering his career. Yeah, is that common and typical though? Sort of work mm. for hire deals like that. Is that what, what's the most frequent arrangement that you tend to find yourself? That's that's the most frequent. They get every, uh, they get they get uh, publication rights. It's called mm -hmm. digital yeah. uh, and all that. And you keep the rights to sell print and mm. to use them in publication covering your uh, career. When I did work for Fantasy Flight or Star Wars, mm. I could I can't sell prints of my Star Wars artwork. Right. Okay. You can only So that's because presumably Disney itself probably has yeah, some no, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, rules it's, that they passed down. They are, they? Uh, yeah, it's licensed by uh, from Lucasfilm and I think uh, I don't know I I think Lord of the Rings also I uh, can't sell prints of my Lord of the Rings artwork. Right. Because okay. that's owned by Souls and Company, whatever. And uh, mm. so there are a few uh, properties that you can't sell prints because they are also in the business of selling prints. Uh, I did Marvel artwork for Upper Deck, and mm. I can't sell prints of my Marvel artwork. So how does that factor into the amount you're going to charge then? If you can't, if you're, if it's a contract which says you cannot sell prints, it's work for hire. So you, you've basically got nothing. You basically get nothing. Uh, what, how, how does that factor into how much you're going to charge? Is it double? Is it more? Is it... It's rare that you, that you get to, to negotiate that because yeah. 
because oftentimes these uh, the, the company making those items is paying mm. licensing fees to the licensor uh, right, yeah, yeah. or Lucasfilm mm. or whatever. Yeah. And uh, mm. so their budget is already squeezed. Mm. What, but on the other hand, you get to add a piece of Star Wars or Marvel artwork to your portfolio. You mm. can say, I did Star Wars artwork, I did Marvel artwork, I did Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. So there's a... there's a benefit mm. in that that you mm -hmm. have to uh, weigh against how much money you could be charging. Mm -hmm. If you if you paint something for Lucasfilm itself, yeah. then you you get paid more. Mm. What happens is uh, a few artists uh, choose to do them. I mm -hmm. did them in the past, but it gets to a point where you know what um, the money just doesn't mm. make sense for me anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm already well known enough that it doesn't yeah. add to my brand. It doesn't add to my uh, uh, portfolio to have an extra Star Wars piece or an extra Marvel. Yeah, piece. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, the point is, you are still getting paid for this. You're not working for exposure. No, you're not working um, for exposure. You're, you're there's a lot of memes about that on the internet and about how like said, what you can spend exposure on. <laughs> There's a, a floor to how much you can use. Yeah, question then, Claudia. Has anybody ever asked you, or maybe 20 years ago, but like in the last 10 years to work for exposure? Has that ever happened in the last 10 years? Yes. I have. Uh, nice. Yeah, it's, uh, oh, you can do work for my Patreon, and then you can feature the work on your Patreon, and you, we can uh, uh, point people to each other's Patreon. And uh, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that ain't happening, man. <laughs> Your freelancer has died of exposure. Yeah. Well, you know, there's, there's two types of exposure. There's exposure to the elements, yes. or there's indecent exposure, and neither of them sound great. <laughs> we'll pass on both. Thank you very much. But, but yeah, so like working for exposure is, I, I guess, a trap that a new artist has to be aware of. So I've, I've written on this topic before, and mm. I try to get the message out there as much as possible. Don't work for exposure, don't even if you're brand exposure. new. Yeah. Don't join mm. art contests, especially art contests that have an entry fee. Mm. Like, oh, oh. right, yeah. so they, ooh, ouch. That, wow, this, that sounds like a raffle. Yes, <laughs> it sounds like a raffle, yeah. right? Uh, like, do this, these uh, pieces of art and to be featured in our, our, our social media, or mm. with the social media thing, it's it's not really being sold or anything, but you're adding to the the brand that's asking mm. for that. And it's especially bad when it's like a company that can't afford to pay people to do that kind of no design your version of Batman mm. and the the top. But people do. But people do do it. I yeah, don't know. That's people do do it, yeah. and it's it's awful that they, they do do it because mm. it could be uh, uh, like Warner uh, Brothers could easily afford to pay like $300 yeah. to a thousand illustrators and each one makes their mm. own version of Batman. Yeah, and they wouldn't even notice the cost. And they no. wouldn't even notice the company that size. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, well, it's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's kind of a danger that if you underprice or undervalue your work and i oh. guess that there might be a temptation to do that to get more work mm. 
Um, yes. But if you actually do that, you're actually harming other artists as well because you're normalizing those low prices. Yes. So even if you're, even if you're personally a multimillionaire and don't need the money, mm. you should still charge mm. a, a, a proper price for the work because otherwise you're normalizing low prices. Well, most of, you know, usually uh, most of the, the uh, gaming market is centered on the U.S. Mm. And the, the minimum wage in the U.S. is seven fifty an hour, which is not mm. enough to uh, to support a single person in any city. Oh, that's nothing. Yeah, of no, the United nothing. States. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. been uh, talk to raising the minimum wage to fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, but that's so, been going for like ten years. So yeah, yeah. and that's for unskilled mm. minimum wage labor. You you had uh, uh, costs to get that level of skill that have to be factored in how much you charge. So at least you should be getting something above $15 an hour. Mm -hmm. Let's say $20 an hour. And mm -hmm. you work for six hours a day painting, which is high volume. Mm -hmm. Let's say working six hours an hour. Mm -hmm. You have to at least make $120 per day mm -hmm. to afford living somewhere in yes, the United yeah. States doing art. Yeah. This is your anything, price anything lower than that. Yeah. You're not your art is not supporting you and you have to get a mm. second job. Yeah, yeah. Which a lot and of I artists, mean, a lot of starting artists mm. uh, uh, need to have second jobs and I highly recommend it because trying to uh, earn a living as a starting artist on freelancer mm. wages with all the, the added uh, uh, fluctuation, mm. it, it's mm. really stressful, harmful mm. for your, for your, your uh, mind health. So yeah. you have to be earning at least $120 per day. If you can make two illustrations, maybe they're simple illustrations, you're just making, you know, like small black and white icons. Okay, mm -hmm. you can charge $60 each and you do two per day and you have your $120. Mm -hmm. But sometimes mm -hmm. you're doing a painting that takes you two days to make. You can charge $100 for that. You mm -hmm. need, in those two days, you need to make at least 240 to afford living, you're mm. hurting yourself by charging less. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. you're, you're uh, uh, pushing down the rates of other artists yeah, who also yeah. need those 240 from different clients. They are not mm. competing with you for your clients. Mm -hmm. They have different styles. They have different interests. Maybe that other guy prefers to paint characters. You prefer to paint monsters. You complement each other. If mm. everyone is making at least $120 a day, then everyone can make a living from art. Mm. So $120 a day. So take a, a standard a book cover. So a, a 11 by um, 8 inch book cover. Standard size. How, how, how long, I, I've, I've, a, a fairly detailed one, how, how long would you spend painting something like that? Um, maybe 10 days. Let's round out two weeks because okay. I don't work all day long, but I work every day. Mm. Okay. I, I work on a, on a weekend and then I don't work on a day of the week, or maybe I'm working doing, uh, getting a research uh, yeah. references for my painting. And yeah. So I'm just kind of doing the maths in my head though. So let's say 10 days for the ease of numbers. So okay. 10 days, you need to make $120 a day just to live. Yes. So that's $1,200 is your absolute floor for yeah. 
like and, and at that point you're not making money you're just breaking out yeah. yeah yeah so mm-hmm. your absolute floor is uh, is, is twelve hundred dollars mm-hmm. so i mean would you is is ten days like a typical amount of time an artist would spend doing a cover or is, is that vary greatly depending on style it varies a lot depending not only on style but there are like really awesome fully painted fantasy realist like a lot of the guys that paint magic the gathering and they can whip out an awesome fully painted piece of art in like four days mm. wow. which is wow which is yeah 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 crazy quick yeah. and that's how an artist gets his rate because mm. he's still uh, he's uh, he won't charge you less because it, it takes him less. Yeah, you will just yeah. get another commission for another piece to fill out mm. the rest of those 10 days. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he's making yeah. more money because he's better, he's more skilled. Yeah. Mm. Not because his artwork is more skilled because he paints way better than the other guy who takes seven days, but he paints at that mm. level with that level of consistency, with that mm. level of uh, assurance in yeah. less time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like a quality of the product in the time taken, and that so the quality stays the same or increases, but the time reduces, and that's where artists yeah, start and, making and, their money. Mm. If the artist uh, wants to, he now can afford like an extra day or two to just like fiddle something here or there, yeah. or oh no, I'm gonna work on this other thing, and then I'm gonna come back to this painting and see if I still mm. like it, and he gets to adjust something or another, and that's part of being highly skilled. It's that it's that like that uh, joke of the plumber that spends four hours checking the leaky pipes of a building and then fixes with a single hammer blow to a, a, a valve mm. and then charges ten thousand dollars. Wow, you're charging ten thousand dollars for a single hammer blow to the valve? And uh, no, I'm char- charging ten thousand dollars for the skill of knowing that a single hammer blow. To this valve yeah, will yeah, stop yeah. the leaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so the ability to be able to do a piece of art in four days rather than two weeks is that just something that comes with experience? It comes or? with experience. It comes mm. with a lot. It of helps practice. to have it's practice. It helps to you know. I never had any. Uh, I never done any art course for mm. years. For the first fifteen years of my career. And so it was very, uh, a lot of starts and stops. Mm. So it took me longer to learn stuff that I could have learned with an actual art book. Yeah. Not, not a, a, a beau art, uh, bachelor in fine art uh, graduation, yeah. but... Right. More of a practical skills-based sort of in, thing. In, in 2016, early 2016, I mm-hmm. did a, a semester, actually three months, course at smart school which is an online school art school that uh, the class are taught by people like todd lockwood or uh, mm. donato Giancola, dando santos uh, greg manchez like big illustration name and that was like a watershed moment you know i got really better from that course if mm. I, I if i could afford it i would take that course again with different artists to improve my work because sometimes you still get uh, insecure about which color to use or, or composition, something like that. Mm. And the artwork then uh, ends up taking longer to make mm. from those insecurities. So yeah, yeah. Uh, the more assured you are of the artwork you're making, the faster and more confidently you can uh, put out artwork. And that 
adds up to being able to make a living from the art. So, uh, sorry, I forgot the question. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there was something else I did want because we are definitely running over time now. So I just yeah. wanted to touch on a couple of other things. So, um, I, just out of curiosity, I'd appreciate it if you can't answer this, but I'm just kind of curious, and it might be sort of mm -hmm. useful information for aspiring artists. When you do reach the point where you're working for Fancy Fly or Wizards of the Coast and stuff like that, do they have like set rates for different size pieces? And if so, what, what sort of rates are we talking for yeah. those pieces? Uh, yeah, everyone has uh, rates for, for different size pieces. And mm -hmm. uh, they don't always add up like a quarter page is a quarter of the price of the full page, something like that. Right. And a full page costs less than a cover because there are yeah. additional uh, thinking that has to go into the cover. Yeah. It's, more, yeah. it's so, more involved yeah. with the art director. It needs yeah. to make room for title. It needs to yeah. Yeah. Uh, stand out. It, it takes more yeah, it's, it's, work. Yeah, it's a more, it's a more high profile piece as well. Yeah. On top it's of not, that, it's not just it? that yeah. it's it on the front of the book, but mm. it, it, it has more technicalities that you have to Yeah, You've got to allow for where does the where's the title of the book go? Yeah. For example, that Among sort of thing. Yeah. So uh, is it a wraparound cover? What size? If it's do a wraparound cover, and mm. then you have to calculate for the spine, and the, there's a, mm. a text that goes on the spine, and the spine has to, you know, stand mm. out on the on a shelf. There, there's yeah. there's a lot of technicalities, a lot of yeah. uh, design work that has to go on the cover that makes the cover more expensive. But every publisher has different rates for a mm. vignette. Sometimes yes. a, qu a quarter page and a vignette, they charge you the same. They, they pay oh, you sorry. the same. What's a vignette? A vignette, a vignette is a small quarter page size uh, piece with no background. It's usually, right. there oh, okay. just, it's usually there just to liven up the page. Maybe mm. it's a okay. sword embedded in a stone, or maybe it's a skull lying yeah. on the ground, or something like that, and there's no background mm. to that. Okay. Mm. That's yeah. a vignette. Um, okay. A quarter page illustration, sometimes it has a background, sometimes it does not. It, it may be a, mon a, a small piece of a monster or a character or a character just from uh, shoulders up. Mm -hmm. uh, half page can be uh, vertical or horizontal, and mm -hmm. it has its own, its own challenges to fit uh, a story in that format because the, the, the uh, uh, vertical half page tends to be really narrow and mm. a horizontal half page is easier because it kind of follows the same ratio, uh, uh, same ratio as a, a computer screen. Yeah, it's a landscape yeah. piece. A landscape is, yeah. piece. And then uh, the full page. Uh, the challenge of the full page is that you can't have anything too close to the, the spine of the book. Yes, because, because that will be cut off. Yeah. It's going to get hidden by the stitching or, or, or mm -hmm. whatever. So it. Uh, Sometimes they have something like $150 to $200 for the quarter page, and then the half page is like $400, and the full page is 1000 which is more than two half pages. Sometimes mm, there's, yeah. there are, there are uh, uh, publishers that will take the other way around, and they will add up your pieces and see how many full pages of art that is. Mm. So... If you uh, like, you do four quarter pages, uh, two half pages. You get paid like for two pages of art. Right. Yeah. So, which is a, a more technical 
approach to mm. it. Something yeah. like Onyx, Onyx Path uh, has mm. done in the past, uh, which which is instead of ha having different rates, they just add everything up and see how many pages of art. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they will pay. Oh, oh I'm going to hire you to make uh, three pages of art, and then they divide those three pages according to the need of the of the. Uh, yeah. Book right. edit. But they always kind of come in those standard sizes: quarter, half, yeah. and they come in those. So, you, so they're easy to add up like that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's because publishers know how much space they have in the book as well. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bit, yeah. it's a lot of like a lot of like Tetris because yes. sometimes they need the text to flow into the next page. So yeah. they need to add a quarter page here so the, the book will the text will flow the next page better. Yeah, something like that. And you don't have or you don't have like a big empty space gap in the same. Yeah. Sometimes that ends up uh, causing a uh, uh, publisher to uh, get less time uh, illustration. Mm. That happened mm. to me with uh, fifth edition. I mm. came in late in fifth edition because they needed a few half page. Every piece of work in fifth edition player's handbook, Dungeon Master Guide, the Monster Manual, not the Monster Manual because I didn't say that. Those were done as full pages, and then they cut they cut it up as they needed. So yeah. near the end of the, the making of fifth edition, I got uh, called up by Kate Irwin because mm -hmm. they needed some last minute uh, pieces. Mm. And then I did uh, Insect Plague, I did uh, the Diagram of the Planes, I did the Feywild, and I did something else that I'm forgetting. Yeah. Uh, I, oh yeah, uh, Cloud Kill. Yeah. And that's how I got in fifth edition in the the core mm. book because mm. they needed those extra pieces to break up all the walls of text or to get the text to flow into the next page and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. and and it was it was weird because I had the liberty to make them horizontal or vertical as needed. Mm. So for the Feywild, I I gave them uh, four sketches uh, of the. Some of them were vertical, some of them were horizontal. They got to choose, and they chose the horizontal one for the Feywild, which is the one that ends up in the book. Hmm. It, that was a really expensive project, but uh, it really paid off because every artist just gave their all. You know, the chance to do full-page illustrations in whatever orientation uh, felt, uh, felt better for that composition, that was really something that had never happened before and ever since. Mm. Yeah, mm. Well, I think we kind of have to wind up because we're way, way over time. We spent so long on Ravenloft. <laughs> it was fantastic to have so much detail and passion. Uh, I think it's really informative to hear more about how artists can get into the RPG publishing. And with so many indie publishers or one-person things, like because art really makes or breaks. Um, yeah, there's really makes or breaks. There are a few, RPG there are books. few uh, formulas that uh, publishers. Can use to see how many pieces of art they're gonna need, and then from that they can start to to build up their budget, so they're not, you know, completely uh, out of the blue asking the, yeah. the 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 artist, "What's your rate? What's your budget?" It becomes like a showdown in the wild west. Mm -hmm. uh, every book needs obviously a cover, and yes. then you need at least a piece of art every four. Every six to eight pages, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we go with one every four pages in ours is our kind of yeah. that's that's what we aim for. But that's, so it varies. Of course it varies. It, yeah, yeah, it varies. But if, if you want if yeah. you want a lot of artwork, uh, a piece mm -hmm. of artwork for every four pages is nice because you get two pages of text, flip it over, mm -hmm. you have a page of text and a page of text yeah. with it also depends on type of book. Like a like yeah. a monster book, you're gonna have to illustrate every single monster. Yeah. You can't you kinda have to but yeah, or, that's, or that's, that's, a lot of talk them, yeah. That's a specific yeah. formula, but uh, usually a piece, uh, a rule book, four pages, uh, all text, all text, all text, text with a piece of artwork. That's mm -hmm. something you can aim for. So if you're going to have like 120 pages, and you're going to have a, a, a piece of artwork every four pages, you need 30 pieces of artwork. Yeah. If you're, if you're tied for budget and you're going to go with only quarter page images, and mm -hmm. as we've uh, spoken here, mm -hmm. uh, the absolute floor is one hundred and twenty dollars yes. a day a day. And you want your artist? I want the artist to at least spend one day making this for me, thinking mm -hmm. about my piece and doing my piece. Yeah. Then those thirty pieces are gonna cost you at least thirty six hundred dollars. True. You should see what you should see what the art budget for Level Up is, Peter. Mm -hmm. It's eye watering. <laughs> Uh, you you have a beautiful <laughs> book though, like I mean, how you it's, do I want this art or do I want a new house? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you're you're gonna you're gonna get that money back by selling this. Oh, I have so. Oh, yeah. I have so. so much. Are you gonna? Are you gonna? Are you gonna? You're gonna kickstart that, and yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. here's the thing: if hmm. you when you get a kickstarted, I know Russ is is special because he has everything ready by the time the kickstarted starts. Mm, so mm. he funds everything out of pocket and hopes yes. to get it back through the Kickstarter. And that's mm. really uh, awesome uh, of him to do that. That's something that he can brag about because it's really rare. But if you're going to have a Kickstarter for a book, don't wait until your Kickstarter is finished to pay the artists that are making the images that are in the Kickstarter. Mm. If you're, you're not going to have the book ready by the time the Kickstarter ends. You're, oh, I'm just going to try to fund my book and then make the book with that money. At mm -hmm. least the images that are in the Kickstarter itself, like yeah, you pay the, for. the mood pieces that are trying to convince people to give you money, you have to pay for those out of pocket before the Kickstarter starts. Yes. Mm. Because you can't ask the artist to maybe you know invest in your Kickstarter. They are not your investors. Your, your contract. Yeah, you're not asking them to work on spec. Don't ask him. Don't ask them to take that chance with you. Well, if yeah, because I mean, you put all the risk onto the artist because mm. you're not going to give them extra money if the Kickstarter as well. You're going yeah. to give. You're going to pay them what you have agreed to pay them if mm. the Kickstarter funds. And if it does not fund, then the artist would not get paid by you, and that's that's really just. Well, it's, it's quite simple. If they've done work for you, you just pay them. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and, oh, you know, absolutely. It's not. It's not dependent on anything. It's not dependent on whether you make money. It's not dependent on whether you get stars. If they've done work for you, you pay them. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. You're essentially borrowing money from the artist to do that. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. they are not banks. Yeah. Artists are yeah. different. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the opposite of banks. If you had to have an opposite of a bank, it's probably an artist. <laughs> so, uh, and that's something that artists, even starting artists, have to be aware of. If you're mm. doing artwork for someone mm -hmm. they owe you money yes mm -hmm. they need to pay you don't yes. work for uh, for nothing if you if you want to 
join a project that it's like a passion project and you have to get a percentage of the profit not a fee. Mm. Yeah. you you own part of that mm. you have to get a percentage of the profit like you're you're creating a comic book with a writer you won't mm. have that yes. and, and the 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 inker wants a piece and the colorist owns a piece unless mm. the, the creator or the writer is paying you out of his own mm. pocket Oh god, yeah, um, like a comic book especially because it's so art dependent. Oh yeah. yeah but like, if there's no art, there's no comic book. It's it's something it's something that it's that is easier to understand, that to, to imagine. Mm. You know, if you're contributing art to something, you're either getting paid or you own part of the, the final product. Yeah. Yeah. But mm -hmm. you owe you are owed something for that because that is your uh, art work. And definitely think very, very carefully if you're considering going with royalties on something and not getting a flat fee up front because you could end up with nothing if that thing doesn't sell. Mm. Yeah, just to, to uh, close thing, things out with, uh, with uh, something, that, uh, a resource to help these artists, there's a website called Drawn and Drafted, drawnanddrafted.com, which is was started by artists and art directors were so it's drawn and drafted is uh, a series of boot camps for pdfs resources it's uh, and it, they have a community on on slack of artists and they teach you the business side of art they hmm. don't teach you they don't teach you the how to paint or something like that they hmm. they teach you the part of contract invoices yeah. or yeah. good business practices that are not yeah. taught in usual uh, yeah i guess that's kind of like the unspoken thing isn't it it's if you want to be a freelance artist or freelance anything you have to be a business person too yeah it, it's, it's an entirely different skill set right yeah you need to, to know part of that is being a business person and it's mm. lauren panepinto and mark chef they started mm. drawn and drafted and yeah and they are it's an awesome resource and i highly recommend it for any artist that is starting or struggling with the freelance market mm. there are a few uh, free pdfs with uh with basics of the business and you can uh go to gumroad uh, you can go to their website drawnanddrafted.com and buy the course from uh, their gumroad which mm. is uh, something that I highly recommend for not only artists, but writers as well, because the business side of it is really similar. And there are a lot of writers who struggle because they can't navigate the business part of it. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I, I really hope that any aspiring artists or any artists who are starting up in their career, or even any artists who are, you know, who've been, who've been doing it for ages, might find some useful information and some useful advice well this and, and these, that's, that's my that's my hope for this one yeah and also people who are who are writing their own rpg books and wanting mm -hmm. to self-publish you will need art and this is hopefully giving you some ideas about how much you need to pay your artists to be fair yeah, to yeah. if anyone has uh questions about this they can send it to uh, morals and they'll forward forward it to me <laughs> and we can, yeah. we, can do, we can do a, a podcast just answering these questions if they're in yeah yeah like if you do have questions then we are happy to spend time answering them all right well the uh, email address is at the end of the podcast going to force people to listen to the end and listen to the credits to get the email address <laughs> <laughs> you monster <laughs> i know i know it's just just because my brother does the end bits and um, 
I think somebody should listen to his voice occasionally. Why, why, why do you hate our listeners so, Russ? It's like a trouble <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Darren. Right. Okay. Well, on that note, on that we, should, we, should, we should get that in. Yeah. Who have we got next week? Who's our, who's oh, our guest uh, next week? Is it not Shannon Applecline? Shannon Applecline, yeah. formerly of RPG Net, um, author of Designers and Dragons, a series of books of history about the RPG industry. Nice. That is going to be a really, really, really interesting talk. Thank you so much, Fabio. It's been a real pleasure having you on again. Yes. And a real education as well. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's always great to talk to you guys. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. That is going to be a really, really, really interesting talk if... He's awake because he uh, lives in Hawaii. <laughs> and it's going to be something like 4am or something for him, I think. Oh <laughs> Which is really unfortunate. Really. Well, if all these people would insist on living so far away. <laughs> oh, you're just a monster in human form, Russ. I know. Yeah. Anyway, but until I, next I've, week. I've lost all sympathy for you having to sit through late night Seattle announcements now. Just as <laughs> <It's> yeah. <laughs> Right. Come on. We're done. That's the show. Okay. Let's go.